Welcome to Calvary Life DFW's weekly podcast. We hope this podcast encourages you, challenges you, and furthers your relationship with God in a whole new way. Enjoy this week's message. Actually, what would you say if I told you that uh, not too awful long ago, Someone paid uh, $55,000 for a lint roller, something like this. That's exactly what I'm going to tell you. On April the 22nd, 2014, at Game 2 of the NBA playoffs between the Toronto Raptors and the Brooklyn Nets, Aubrey Graham that some of you know as the rapper Drake, was sitting courtside at the playoff game. He's a big Raptor fan. He's a Canadian. And he was seen, while the ball was in play, on camera, on global television, using a lint roller. And he was furiously trying to remove dust from his clothing. And so while the ball was in play, he started from the bottom of his pants and he worked his way all the way up. And he's kept going. And before the end of the game, even though he didn't know it, jokes and memes were all over the internet about Drake and his lint roller. At first glance, you would think he took a major L. As Pastor Trell was telling you, an L is a loss and a W is a win. If you don't know how important that is, I'm sure Eric will tell you that if you have more W's, your sports collectible is going to be worth a lot more than if you have more L's. But he did. He used that lint roller. And guys, I understand because, you know, we got to look crispy. We got to look good, right? The ladies expect it. But it's hard to keep your street cred when you're seen on global television using a lint roller like you're trying to put yourself out of fire. (laughs) The Raptors won the game. But Drake, at least it would seem, took a major L, at least a PRL, or so it would seem. Instead of expressing his embarrassment, and I'm sure he was embarrassed at first, he, he evaluated his situation, he dealt with whatever feelings he had, and then he got in touch with the Raptors front office. And they created 1,200 lint rollers with Drake's OVO brand on them. And they gave them away at a Raptors game, Game number five, still in the playoffs against the Nets. And before the game was over, those lint rollers were going on eBay. And one of them sold for $55,100. So if anybody's interested, (laughs) one of them sold for over $20,000. That is one way to turn an L into a W. 
But you don't have to be a celebrity with your own brand to turn a setback into a comeback. And I don't want to trivialize loss because today is a loss that our own nation commemorates. 21 years ago, we watched as two planes hit the towers. I worked for American Bible Society at the time. I was on the phone with Manhattan when the second plane hit. I can remember. So loss is real. The thing is, every person in the Bible experienced loss, including Jesus. But today I want to focus on one particular person in the Bible, and that's the prophet Jeremiah. He took lots of L's. Some of them came at the hands of God's own people. So Jeremiah, if you read that book, you will know that it is a book about grief and a book about loss. But it's also a book of great hope. It tells the people of God and the people of Israel and the people sitting here today how you can turn an L into a W. I want to give you a few important facts about Jeremiah just so you'll get the bigger picture. God called him when he was no more than 20 years old. And at first Jeremiah objected. He said, I'm not even married yet. Well, I want to tell you the sad part. He never married and he never had any children. He was young, and he did not want to do the job. He went through five kings in 40 years, and at least four of them hated him. Jeremiah, in terms of the number of words, you probably think Psalms is the longest book in the Bible. It's not, it's Jeremiah. He's often called the weeping prophet because of his message and what he experienced. At times, he wanted to quit. He even told God, I don't want to speak in your name anymore. Anybody who's been in ministry and been in serious ministry has gotten to that point. But he said, I can't. I can't stop. Because it's like a fire that's burning inside of me, and if I quit, it will consume me from the inside out. God directly told Jeremiah that people would reject him. His own family rejected him. His own townspeople plotted to have him killed. The chief priest had Jeremiah whipped and locked in stocks. A mob of priests attacked him and planned to have him executed. One of the kings threatened him and another king took his writings and burned them. The copy you have of the book of Jeremiah is copy number two. One of the popular false prophets publicly ridiculed Jeremiah and said all of his prophecies were false. Under another king, Jeremiah was arrested, accused of treason, beaten, and thrown into the palace prison, but he didn't last there very long because they took him out of the palace prison, 
drug him and threw him into a well where he sunk down into the mud and he stayed there for several days thinking that was the end. He was going to die. He personally was in Jerusalem when the Babylonians attacked. He experienced the battle and he watched the people around him suffer and die. He witnessed when the battle was over and the Babylonians took everyone captive and they took them to Babylon. And he finally was released from prison, but it only lasted for two months. And finally Jeremiah was taken by a group of Jewish rebels and drugged to Egypt. And that's where the story ends because we don't have any more information. Bible scholars tell us that those Jewish rebels, which were his own countrymen, probably killed him in Egypt. So much for a sweet Bible story to tell the preschoolers. <laughs> Jeremiah is a hero, but he's probably not the hero you want to tell the kids about. Nevertheless, one of the most often quoted and most hopeful verses in the entire Bible comes straight out of the book of Jeremiah and Jeremiah's darkest days and you know it as Jeremiah 29 11 and let me let me remind you of it for I know the plans I have for you and I'm reading out of the New Living Translation <clears throat> for I know the plans I have for you says the Lord they are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope but before you get too carried away that is also one of the most misunderstood and misinterpreted verses of the Bible. Let me put this verse in context. It comes out of the 29th chapter of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is writing a letter to the people who are already prisoners in Babylon. And I'm going to summarize that 29th chapter or paraphrase it for you. And it's something like this. Hey, y'all, you might want to get comfortable because you're not going back to your home for your entire life. You will die in a foreign land. Maybe one or two of you will make it, but don't count on it. And while you're there, make friends with the Babylonians like your life depends on it because it does. Seek the peace of that city where you're going. But don't become the Babylonians yourselves. And don't forget you, who you are or where you came from. And don't believe the lion preachers there in Babylon. We had them back here in Jerusalem, remember? But this time, the lion preachers in Babylon, God's going to kill them. That's what Jeremiah says. Don't believe them when they say everything is going to be fine. Men, you know fine is a four-letter word. They say you're going to go back home before you know it. It is a devilish lie. You're going to be there for 70 years. Don't count on coming back. In fact, the people who are still here in Jerusalem... If you are jealous of them, let me tell you what's going to happen to them. War, famine, and mostly death. 
So now that you know all that, people of God in Babylon, let me give you the good news. God has a wonderful plan for your life. Now when you read that verse, remember that that is what it's about. God has a plan. This is the plan. I'm glad God has plans for me. But from what I see here in Jeremiah 29, Jerusalem, Judea, the Jews, and Jeremiah are all about to take a major L. It's going to hurt. And the wound is going to be deep and it's going to take a long time to heal. If Jeremiah and the Jewish people are about to experience one of the worst losses in human history, then how in the world can I possibly say that a win is going to come out of that? Actually, that's exactly what I'm going to tell you. Jeremiah is one of the most pivotal figures in the Bible. He is the prophet who transitions us from the Old Testament to the New. He is the one who told the Jewish people how they could survive in exile. How they could live in a pagan land. Out of Jeremiah's instructions, the synagogue was born. Let me tell you how important that is. Because the temple was destroyed... There was no central place for worship or meaning or identity for the Jewish people. And the synagogue became it. It became the central focus for the people of God. And when the temple was rebuilt, it still remained the central focus. And when the new temple was built and then destroyed in 70 AD, the synagogue still survived as the center of Jewish identity and worship and in 2022 it still is the center of Jewish identity and worship. The culture and the faith of the Jewish people survived through inquisitions, persecutions, bloody pogroms and even during the Nazi Holocaust because Jeremiah told people how to do it. Many of the first churches were planted in synagogues. And the early Christians looked at the synagogue and they modeled the first churches after it. Christians learned from their Jewish friends how to thrive and survive and they learned it from Jeremiah. Christians have suffered some of the most severe persecutions but thank God for Jeremiah. We survive as Christians today and Jews survive as Jews today. And we thrive because Jeremiah told us how to take an L and turn it into a win. God could have arranged it any way he wanted. But he wanted to call a young guy named Jeremiah. About 600 years before Jesus was born. And Jeremiah prophesied about a day when God would write a new covenant on our hearts. We might not be sitting here today if it were not for Jeremiah. So God chose Jeremiah to speak to us today. And thank God for Jeremiah and thank God he has plans 
for us that do not include our destruction even when it looks like we're going to take a major L. So that brings me to the question of the day. How do you turn an L into a win? How do you turn a loss into a win? And I'm going to give you five steps that will help you move beyond a loss to a win and they're going to come straight out of the book of Jeremiah. The first one is this. Recognize the reality of the loss. It's really happened. Whether it's going to happen or it's already happened, Jeremiah only has one choice. Obey God or don't obey God. Obey or disobey. Which are you going to do, Jeremiah? God says things are going to get bad. Jeremiah, tell the people. The false prophets say peace, peace, when there is no peace. That phrase is used twice in the book of Jeremiah in chapter 6 and verse 14 and chapter 8 and verse 11. Those false prophets are like bad doctors who tell a patient everything is going to be fine when he's obviously dying. Jeremiah is like a great doctor with horrible bedside manner. <laughs> you should have taken drastic measures. You should have, but it's too late now. Sorry, you're going to die. Listen to Jeremiah. This is chapter 8, book of Jeremiah, verses 10 and 11. I will give their wives to others and their farms to strangers. From the least to the greatest, their lives are ruled by greed. Yes, even my prophets and priests are like that. They are all frauds. They offer superficial treatment for my people's mortal wound. Here's the doctor. Here's the doctor image. They give assurances of peace when there is no peace. People of Jerusalem, you got a mortal wound. And you're going to die. Faith is not an excuse for dishonesty. That's what Jeremiah says. The false prophets are lying liars. Sure, pray in faith, but even more, get right with God and your family because the day of the Lord's coming. And this might be the only opportunity you've got. Jeremiah, it's a difficult message he delivers. Surrender because God is about to hand the city over to the Babylonians in the most violent way possible. The city leaders say he's a traitor. The false prophet, prophets call him a religious quack. But Jeremiah will not back down because again he's only got one choice. Obey or disobey. Jerusalem is about to take a major L and denying it is not going to make it go away. Get right with God before it is too late. And the clock is about to strike midnight. But I'd say the same thing today. If you see a storm on the horizon... You can pray in faith for it to go away, but I would encourage you to begin first by repentance. Amen. 
God may send the storm another way, but he might be giving you one more chance to turn to him in faith. Jeremiah also has another message, and it's for the Jews in Babylon. If a loss has already happened, don't pretend like it didn't. You can't pull a win out of a loss just because you refuse to recognize that it's a loss. And I would say that even about things that we experience in our own lives. If you have gone through a traumatic childhood and it is affecting your daily life and your relationship and your job, you can't ignore it away. You've got to go through it. You have to deal with it, heal from it, forgive it, and then God can take you and launch you like a rocket. And if you've experienced trauma in your marriage and you're sitting here today and you're going, you know, I think I need a new marriage. You do. You do need a new marriage. What you don't need is a new spouse. What you need is by the grace of God to embrace a new relationship and a new marriage with your spouse. But that means you got to deal with stuff. That may mean that you need to seek a qualified Christian counselor to help you deal with it. So the first step is to recognize that a loss has happened. The second step is feel what you need to feel. Those false prophets, they were saying, there's just going to be nothing but peace. Now how do you think the people feel? If I were to say to you, you know, while I've been talking here, you know, I got a text on my phone and somebody did offer me $55,000 for this and I'm going to split it with everyone here. Y'all would already be planning what kind of lunch you're going to have. But then if I were to come back and say, you know, I was just kidding, it wasn't, that wasn't real. There's no money. I bet you would be angrier at me for the lie than you would be disappointed for the loss. There is nothing like bombs raining down on your head to shake you back into reality. Or as Mike Tyson once said, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. The Babylonians have punched the people of Jerusalem into reality. I want to show you a really interesting passage of scripture. This is out of the book of Jeremiah. And it is filled filled with raw grief and tears. It is emotional. But the question is, whose grief, whose tears, whose disappointment is Jeremiah talking about? This is Jeremiah chapter 8 beginning with verse 18. And it goes down to chapter 9 and verse 3. My grief is beyond healing. My heart is broken. Listen to the weeping of my people. It can be heard all across the land. Has the Lord abandoned Jerusalem? The people ask. Is her king no longer here? Oh, why have, you, have they provoked my anger 
with their carved idols and their worthless foreign gods, says the Lord. The harvest is finished and the summer is gone, the people cry, yet we are not saved. I hurt with the hurt of my people. I mourn and am overcome with grief. Is there no medicine in Gilead? Is there no balm, some translations read. Is there no physician there? There's physicians, remember, in Jerusalem, very bad ones. Why is there no healing for the wounds of my people? If only my head were a pool of water and my eyes a fountain of tears, I would weep day and night. Out of this verse right here is where we get the idea that Jeremiah is the weeping prophet. For all my people who have been slaughtered, oh, that I could go away and forget my people and live in a traveler's shack in the desert. For they are all adulterers, a pack of treacherous liars. Let me list all the emotions you just heard. Grief, heartbreak, feelings of abandonment, anger, despair, loss, woundedness. But whose emotions are they? You, I'm not the first person to ask this question, by the way. Because Bible scholars have been wrestling with this one for centuries. Who is talking here? Sometimes it seems like Jeremiah. Sometimes it seems like God. Sometimes it seems like the people. So who is talking? Jeremiah, the people of Judea, or God? And the answer is yes. All of them are upset. Jeremiah intentionally left it ambiguous because everyone is hurting. From Babylon, one of the most tormented psalms is written, Psalm 137. Beside the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept. As we thought of Jerusalem, we put away our harps, hanging them on the branches of poplar trees for our captors demanded a song from us our tormentors insisted on a joyful hymn sing us one of those songs of Jerusalem but how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a pagan land by the end of Psalm 137 whoever wrote that psalm is praying for God to kill the babies of Babylon in the most violent way possible it's right there in the Bible. That's a lot of feeling because of grief. So how are you going to deal with your feelings after a loss? How can we do that? The first thing is you've got to feel them. The second thing is you've got to be honest about them. And the third is you've got to be honest with God about them. You think he doesn't already know? He can't help you deal with your feelings as long as you hide them from him. As a matter of fact, God would rather you say the wrong thing than say nothing at all. But finally, give him a chance to speak too. Pastor Mary Jo here, my, my good friend, she'll tell you that it's a, it's a real temptation to talk more to God than you let God talk to you. Take a breath. Let God speak. 
So first you recognize the reality of the loss. The second is you feel what you need to feel. And then the third is adjust your expectations. This is a whole new world. There is a new normal, a new usual. God did not forget the people in Babylon. He did not forget the people back in Jerusalem. He's present. They're always going to be his people. Because God's covenants with Israel are eternal. Nevertheless, they're going to have to adjust their expectations. They're no longer in charge. The Babylonians are in charge. But even more than that, God's in charge of the Babylonians. So Jeremiah tells them how they should live in a foreign land. This is this is from that 29th chapter of Jeremiah, beginning with verse 4. Here's your instructions, people of Babylon. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce marry and have children then find spouses for them so you may have many grandchildren amen, amen. multiply do not dwindle away and work for peace and prosperity of the city where I have sent you into exile pray to the Lord for it for its welfare will determine your welfare this is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Do not let your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams because they are telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised, and I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Notice I included verse 11 when I read this, and I read it to you again, because this is their future, and this is their hope. You're going to be in Babylon 70 years, but you're still the people of God, so... Act like it. Amen. I have some news for you. We are living in a fairly Babylonianish culture. And some of you are praying for revival. Keep praying. I may be a pessimist, but I pray for revival too but I'm really not expecting it to happen. I've talked with Pastor Jimmy Evans several times about this topic. And he agrees. Christians, you need to live like Christians even if nothing improves until Jesus splits the sky wide open. Yeah. 
and there's a good possibility it won't. Adjust your expectations and live like the people of God. So first you recognize the reality of what has happened. The second is you feel what you feel. And the third is you adjust your expectations. And then the fourth is reinvest in the future. Most of us watched helplessly as city after city in Ukraine fell. Mariupol was one of the worst. What if I came to church in mid-May and I said, I want to take up a collection because I want to buy some property in Ukraine. How many of you would give to that? I wouldn't. Nevertheless, that is precisely the kind of thing that God is calling Jeremiah to do. That is the investment that God is calling on Jeremiah to make. Look what happened in Jeremiah chapter 32. This is verse 1. This is the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah from the land from the Lord in the tenth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah which was the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar, the army of the king of Babylon. Listen what's happening, okay, listen. The army of the king of Babylon was besieging Jerusalem. It is a war zone right now. And Jeremiah the prophet was confined in the courtyard of the guard in the royal palace of Judah. He is in prison. So the city's under siege. There's flames, death, and destruction everywhere. And look what happens if we skip down to verse 6. Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me. Hanamel, son of Shalom, your uncle, is going to come to you and say, Buy my field at Anatoth, because as nearest relative, it is your right and duty to buy it. Then just as the Lord has said, My cousin Hanamel came to me in the courtyard of the guard and said, Buy my field in Anatoth, in the territory of Benjamin, since it is your right to redeem it and possess it, buy it for yourself. I knew that this was what was the word, the, the word of the Lord, so I bought the field in Anatoth from my cousin Hanamel and weighed out for him 17 shekels of silver. I signed and sealed the deed, had it witnessed, and weighed out the silver on the scales. I took the deed of purchase, the sealed copy containing the terms and conditions as well as the unsealed copy, and I gave the deed to Barak, son of Neriah, the son of Masiah. In the presence of my cousin Hanamel and of the witnesses who signed who had signed the deed, and of all the Jews sitting in the courtyard of the guard. He's not going to get out of this deal. You see everyone that's there? In their presence, I gave Barak these instructions. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Take these documents, both the sealed and the unsealed copies of the deeds of purchase, and put them in a jar of clay... So that they will last a long time. This is like a safety deposit box back in that day and time. For this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Houses, fields, and vineyards will be bought 
in this land. This land. This land that is on fire, that is going to happen. In human terms, this is insanity. Buy land in the middle of a war zone. What kind of God does that? Our God. Our God does that because he knows the end from the beginning. He's the God who will tell you, invest, invest, invest. When everyone around you thinks that you have lost your ever-loving mind. Because he sees what you cannot see and he knows what you cannot know. Look at this verse. This is down to verse 26. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is no, no, a million times no. There is nothing too hard for our God invest. You might think the timing's wrong. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2, preach the word only when it's good. No. Preach the word in season and out of season. You know, we like to talk about seasons a lot, especially, you know, those of us who are Christians. We love that season talk. Let me give you some news. There is never a season when you are not expected to bear fruit. Jesus, in the last week of his life, is outside of the city of Jerusalem and he sees a fig tree there and he goes and he sees it. It's not even in season. He sees the fig tree and it has no fruit on it. And and he's not happy about it. Now, is this just a peevish Jesus with a bad attitude? He's hangry. The disciples, they say, it's not season. And Jesus curses the fig tree. Then he goes into the city and goes to the temple. And he sees that in the only place in the temple where Gentiles could pray, they've set up shop. And he throws a holy fit. And he goes back and the fig tree's dead. Why did Jesus do this? I'll give you the short answer. Because he is the king of glory. Because he is the creator of all the universe. And he is the God of trees and temples. And when he walks by... You better be bearing fruit. Because he made you just like he made the fig tree and just like he formed the temple. It doesn't matter what your season is. Preach the word, bear fruit, buy land, invest, invest, invest. So first... You recognize what's happened. Second, you feel what you need to feel. Third, you adjust your expectations. Fourth, you invest in the future. And then finally, number five, embrace hope. 
I wish I had time to read the entire chapter of, the, of, of Jeremiah thir chapter 31. But I tried it at home and it takes nine minutes and we've already been here long enough. So I'm going to give you some homework. Go home and read it. And if you don't get encouraged by the end of it, read it again. If you think Jeremiah is all bad news, read it again. Read it and read it until your heart changes because it will. You need that chapter because you need to know God has not forgotten you. He didn't leave you off in Babylon. I'm going to read a few verses just to give you a taste, okay? At that time, this verse 1, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the family, families of Israel and they will be my people. This is what the Lord says. The people who survive the sword will find favor in the wilderness. I will come and give rest to Israel. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. I will build you up again. And you, virgin Israel, I want you to remember what he called them earlier. They went from God calling them a prostitute and an adulterer to God saying, virgin Israel, because that's how God sees you once you are covered with his righteousness. And you, virgin Israel, will be rebuilt again. You will take up your timbrels and go out to dance with the joyful. They were asking, can we even sing here? Oh, yes, you can. Again, you will plant vineyards on the hills of Samaria. The farmers will plant them and enjoy their fruit. There will be a day when watchmen cry out on the hills of Ephraim, Come, let us go up to Zion to the Lord our God. That prophecy is going to happen probably in our lifetime. And verse 16, this is what the Lord says, Restrain your voice from weeping. You felt what you felt, but now restrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears for your work will be rewarded, declares the Lord. They will return from the land of the enemy, so there is hope for your descendants, declares the Lord. Your children will return to their own land. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. And I'm going to skip down to verse 32 because he's going to describe that covenant. You remember God used to write covenants on paper and on stone. Not anymore. I will not... It will not be like the covenant I made with your ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant though I was a husband to them declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After that time declares the Lord listen, listen, listen. I will put my laws in their I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts 
I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they, they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Praise be to God. That last part of uh, that, that God is writing there, it is his covenant and he's putting it on our hearts and I'm going to give you the punchline. That is a messianic prophecy. That's about Jesus. He's going to write the law on your heart. So you recognize the reality. You deal with what you have to deal with in terms of your feelings. You adjust your expectations. You invest in the future. And finally you embrace hope and don't skip any steps. And that's how you turn an L into a win. Life is full of losses. I'm going to ask that we stand right now. And Pastor Mary Jo, I'm going to ask that you make your way here. I've asked Pastor Mary Jo in just a moment to pray over us. Those of you who don't know her, she's one of my closest friends. She's a longtime pastor of prayer at Gateway Church. We experience losses and sometimes they're our fault and sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're nobody's fault. Financial setbacks, sometimes they're your fault, sometimes they're not. Sometimes job loss might be your fault, might not be. Maybe you've had a breakup of a relationship or you've gone through a divorce. I can tell you there's usually plenty of fault to go around. Maybe you have family members who have walked away from you. Or maybe you've taken the ultimate L. The death of a family member or a friend. It's real people. Paul says it's the last enemy. He wouldn't tell you if it was an enemy if it wasn't a real enemy. Or maybe, maybe you've experienced loss at church. I'm going to be honest with you here. And I have to be because there ain't no hurt like church hurt. However, if you have been treated unjustly, unfairly, if you've been abused, or you have been harmed in the church, I'm also going to give you a word. And I don't claim to speak for God directly often but I believe I can do it this time not because I don't think God speaks but because I don't trust myself and this is what I want you to hear I'm sorry I'm sorry there's been a misunderstanding because those people didn't stand for me nor did they work for me and I'm sorry that it looked like they did. I am not them and they are not of me. 
but they harmed you instead of serving me. And I promise you, and this is from the Lord, I promise you I will deal with that in my time. They will either repent or they will have their day with me. I assure you of that. I'm not finished working here. But I love you so much and I want to heal you and I want to take away any shame, pain, or bondage that you're carrying and I want to take it away as soon as you will allow me to do it. It may take time or it can start today. If you're willing. Either way, thus says the Lord, I am here and I am not going away. I've asked Pastor Mary Jo to pray for us and I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads for a moment and if you are dealing with any of these losses I've mentioned or even one I haven't mentioned I just want you to slip up your hand really quick because we want to pray for you. Any of them. You can put your hands down and I want to share with you five verses from the scripture. These are very short. This is Psalm 9-9. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Psalm 34-18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Isaiah 25, 8, He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. Psalm 30, verse 5, Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Psalm 55, 22, Cast your cares on the Lord and He will sustain you. As Pastor John was sharing this morning from the, the rich, blessed life of Jeremiah, I just pictured him standing at the foot of the cross. Lord God, we thank you that we are positioned at the foot of the cross. Every loss that we've had, whether we recognize it or not, may the Spirit of God today, because of the words spoken today, reveal hidden hurts that need to be identified so that the Spirit of God can touch those hurts and we can rise as beauty from ashes. May we recognize the reality of the loss and the impact that it's had on us and even our attitudes towards you, Lord. Would you forgive us? May we recognize, Lord God, the impact that it's had on us physically, mentally, spiritually, and emotionally as we live through losses, and we ask that you heal us. Lord, may we feel what you feel as we walk through the valley of the shadow of loss. May we feel your compassion for us, your love for us, your forgiveness for us, your goodness for us, your kindness for us, your long-suffering for us, your steadfastness for us. And may that, Lord God, bring healing to every wound, every crack, every word, every abandonment, every sickness, every disease. 
every hurt, every disappointment, every discouragement, every spirit of depression, every loss, Lord God. Because by the blood of Jesus and the word of God, our losses become his wins. May we adjust our expectations, God, for our past, our present. But, Lord, by the Spirit of God, may we adjust our expectations for our futures. Because you are walking so close with us, Lord God. We can feel your presence here. I'm going to be quiet for a minute. Just feel his presence. We are abiding in the shadow of the Almighty right now, this moment. From that place of abiding, Lord, we look forward with great hope, like Jeremiah did, with expectation for your coming and moving amongst us, in us and through us. You have not asked us to reinvent ourselves, Lord, because when we were created, we were invented by the Spirit of God for every plan and purpose you had planned for us. Lord, we will not reinvent, but we will reinvest. We will reinvest in the gifts you've given us. We will reinvest in our destiny. We will reinvest in the Word of God. We will reinvest in walking in the Spirit of God. We will reinvest in the perfect will of God as we pray for this nation, for this Babylonian culture, for righteousness and justice to arise. We will reinvest in who you are as we live the days that you are allowing us to live on this precious earth. Just last week, I went and I bought an anchor, and I had it soldered to my Holy Spirit bracelet because Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our anchor. So, Lord God, today we embrace hope. We embrace the very anchor of our faith, Lord Jesus Christ. Saints, would you join me with me now? Can I hear your voices? And let us proclaim the name of Jesus above all names. Jesus, you are our hope. You are our anchor. You are our amen. You are our alpha. You are our omega. You're our winner. You are the it is finished. You are the glorious one who is coming. And we say amen. Thank Pastor Mary Jo for praying with us, and I want to thank you for all being here. You're dismissed now. If you would like prayer, there are some uh, prayer ministers that are here that can meet with you, but I hope that everyone has a great day and an even better week. So God bless you, and may his face shine upon you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for tuning in to Calvary Life DFW's weekly podcast. If what you heard today impacted you, be sure to tell us about it. You can rate and subscribe to this podcast or contact us on social media.
You can find us on Facebook and Instagram or our website, calvarylifedfw.com. Thank you so much and have a great week.